0: hello everybody uh, today on diplomacy direct we are discussing on some fringes of the russo ukrainian conflict coming straight from a general's perspective today we have major general sudhakar ji uh, Sewa seva medal uh, has been uh, the former colonel of the mahar regiment and alumnus of nda dssc cdm and uh, ndc The general has served in all three sectors of the northern border. Uh, He comments on geopolitics, strategy, uh, geopolitical security issues, national security issues uh, uh, on on global level and on the national level. Uh, He has contributed on the digital and print uh, media, uh, mainstream media. He is uh, presently pursuing his doctoral thesis on the settlement of uh, uh, Indochina border. very apt for this subject to be spoken to today. And uh, so coming straight to the question, uh, uh, General Sir, how does this Russo-Ukrainian conflict looks from the India's perspective from overall geopolitical standpoint?
1: first of all, uh, to start with, I must thank you for inviting me to your uh, uh, elite channel, address your question <clears throat> rather than in a straightforward manner. Uh, your question has got many subparts but two essential central subparts are uh, India's perspective and the global perspective. okay. Firstly uh, to start with till 23rd of February, early morning the time differential between Ukraine and India is around three and a half hours. Nobody, including me, I have been carrying out my own assessment and uh, whenever any media house they inquired, I always said, I don't think uh, physical conflict or invasion will take place in the manner which has unfolded. But having said that, I always had it in my mind that should uh, the push comes to shove, if it has to happen, then there has to be a cause and effect. There has to be a reason behind it why Putin is going to do what he has done now. And unfortunately, much of our media agencies, they have not gone through the chronology or the sequence of events to come to this particular answer. So the global perspective behind this particular issue was definitely, if I may have to say in a short expression, was uncalled for. With the pandemic, given the pandemic having got extended beyond two years, and the economy of the global economy has gone into a slump. Unemployment problem is rife all over the world. Uh, and the health status, look at our Western powers, the, the America, the United States, the way it is going through the journey today, the rating of the president is the lowest amongst all the presidents from 1776. It's come down to 33%. There is a midterm poll around the corner Okay, and you have maximum unemployment, economies in slump, is the highest inflation in last 40 years. The same is the case with everyone, including China, which has been boasting or thumping its chest. So in such kind of environment, this particular outbreak of hostility in a conventional form definitely was not warranted. But if it has happened, well, it has happened. There is a reason behind it. I'll come to it in the subsequent part, if time permits. Going on to the Indian perspective, I would say um, our dependency on Russia, as far as the armament is concerned. Today, I was going through a Cypri document. Stockholm, you know, document which comes out annually. It mm-hmm. says that out of all the armament imports from 2010 to 2022, There has been a consistent import of almost about 63 and more than 63% Mm -hmm. by India. Consistently, we have been imported. So like the foreign minister or the foreign secretary of Ministry of External Affairs of India, few days back said that our relation is so dependent Mm -hmm. on Russia that without their support, our ships won't sail and the aircraft won't fly. With that kind of purview, I would like to highlight one aspect from the Indian perspective. The Indian perspective doesn't have one angular perspective or one way focus and direction. This perspective has got multiple components. Out of those multiple components, two components stand out very vividly. One is the continental shelf. Along the continental boundaries, we have our northern border, wherein we all are experiencing an extended standoff They almost passed over two winters. And that northern border has got further extended to Afghanistan, okay? And in the Western Front, we have Pakistan. So the complete continental border of, say, 15,500-odd kilometers, um, we have our adversaries keeping us absolutely uh, uh, engaged and committed. Plus, Afghanistan has added that factor of uh, Afghan-Pakistan corridor being the epicenter of the global terrorism. So this is one component. The other component which keeps us engaged and should be actually shifting, or if not shifting our focus, uh, should be actually making us look at is the Indian Ocean region. It is by virtue of the strategic rivalry which is unfolding in the Indian Ocean region. Indian Ocean region is an extension of the Indo-Pacific. So this is one and the rising China. Why am I stressing these two components? In mean, both the sides, we have China as a common enemy. It is in proximity, it is contiguous as far as geography is concerned. And there is a threat from both the sides. A threat is not imminent, it is real. For us, what is real, for US and the Western powers, it is something very distant. So when you compare Indian perspective with the global perspective, to us, the continental shelf or the boundary you know, necessitates our better rapport and good rapport with Russia for a sustained kind of supply of arms, ammunition, spare parts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is a time-tested and it's a green, evergreen kind of a friendship. Well, be that as it may, the fact of the matter is that our relationship with the US and the Western powers becomes more relevant. When we talk about the Indo-Pacific threat or the Indian Ocean, our relations with Russia becomes appropriate, relevant, and important.
0: Ukrainian perspective that when India can step in being Russia's friend and broker some kind of a peace in the region, what do you think, where do we stand there?
1: Um, This is for the first time in the independent India that the stature, the stature of the Indian leadership uh, was welcomed uh, at the global level to be a broker. Nobody other than the Ukrainian president himself, Zelensky, he called up Narendra Modi. He requested him, not notwithstanding the fact that Ukraine, in, uh, in the distant as also recent past, it has always, always vetoed whenever anything came about on Jammu and Kashmir against India, Whenever it came with regard to our nuclear <clears throat> uh, 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 bombs being tested in 1998, okay? they, 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 they vetoed against us. With uh, uh, the T 80s, the 323 80s tanks which have been supplied by Ukraine to Pakistan, and likewise, and host of other issues about Article 370 itself, they had gone against India. They have never supported India when India actually was seeking some kind of a favorable response from Ukraine. Notwithstanding that, we still, you see, look at the kind of the relationship we have. Had our relationship not been there, good relationship, 20,000 or more than 20,000 students would have been actually studying in Ukraine. We are dependent on our, uh, the N32 Antonov the aircraft, which is being upgraded. Last number, the whole fleet of N32 is being upgraded from there. We have gas turbo engines, which is the center of gravity of a ship. Today, our Indian Navy and the fleets will be non-operational if this gas turbine engine, which is the cheapest and most, I would say, um, uh, uh, state-of-the-art technology, which Ukraine has been providing. So there has been a mix and match, but at the same time, at the diplomatic level, at the level of national interest, somehow this was a great opportunity coming our way to showcase our uh, global leadership role play to, uh, to broker peace between two countries, that is the Russia and Ukraine, which Narendra Modi has done an excellent job, maybe because he has provided the trigger for the ongoing talk uh, on the borders of the Belarus. Whether the talk is going to give us positive result or not, it's a it's a time which will tell us But there is a fact which I would like to share with people, if you allow me. Why has Putin done what he has done today? I would like to take the views mind uh, to 1989, when James Baker, the Secretary of United States, he paid a visit. This is on the backdrop of reunification of West and East Germany, when the Germany wall fell. To facilitate the unification, he had given a commitment and assurance to Mikhail Gorbachev then that not an inch of the NATO sphere of influence will extend beyond the existing line towards the eastern part of the Europe. And also so much so that Germany itself was assured about it. And soon after that, this was in 89. In 91, uh, the USSR broke up into 15 provinces. And by 97, there was a pact. In 99, you see, in the year 91, they had 16 member states as, against 12 founding members in 1949. By 99, the numbers had actually gone up further. And by 2022, we have 30 of them. But in between, there are major issues which have taken place. In the Cold War and after Cold War, this is for the second time a force has been applied to actually shift the boundary or change the existing boundary of a sovereign nation. Yes, there is a question as to where is the rules-based international order gone? Why is the United Nation existing? Why is it not performing its mandate? These are the questions which come up. But if these questions are relevant to Russia, they should have been relevant to USA as also NATO forces way back in 1999, when the Serbia was being pounded for days together. Serbia was being subjected to intense aerial attack in 1999, despite opposition by China and Russia, nowhere other than United Nations Security Council. Okay, so this is the kind of a start point, point. and after that, what happened? Kosovo was formed, a new state was formed, a new state was carved out of the existing sovereignty or sovereign nation. So thereafter, there are many other things which have taken back to use.
0: So talking talking about the United Nations and the UN Security Council part in the uh, you know the normative ambiguities and the veto playing games and you know the big power politics again in, uh, playing into all of these things a uh, few days back itself uh, i had a conversation with uh, our nato force commander general bardalai and uh, our uh, joint director to uh, uh, united nations uh, uh, ambassador Dinkar uh, shrivastav sir and these are exactly the points you know that that actually emerged at the top coming to uh, your perspective on how will this event affect globally in terms of military alliances decoupling and cementing of the formation of the new blocks? um, And where India will be now positioned in these blocks, if at all, if these blocks are getting formed?
1: Very good question. Very intelligent question you have asked people. In fact, it should actually stimulate the the minds of the entire intelligentsia globally. Uh, You see, uh, where does the global order? stand today, the global order, because unless we are clear about the standpoint, the existing standpoint, we'll not be able to take it forward in the discussion. The global order today is totally polarized. You have three verticals, USA, notwithstanding, I won't say USA has a declining power, but it's definitely a weakening power, given the circumstances through which or the journey it is happening. Second is the China, China is a rising power. And third is the Russia. Okay, and there is more to it. The European Union is a declining power with it's losing its relevance in the global order today. They are only fighting amongst themselves, not listening to each other. NATO itself has become a disorganized kind of an orbit. So with this backdrop, <clears throat> how is it going to impact the global order? The global order is already being adversely being impacted. Why am I saying is, came out in Times Magazine, if I recall, he made a beautiful statement that globalization as a concept has been dumped. It has died, which initially, with the uh, end of the Cold War in 1991, when the strategic talks commenced, uh, people always thought that it will be leading to a kind of a liberal democratic value system of rules based international order. So contrary to this particular concept, Sometime way back in early 2000 of this millennium, 2003 or 2005, somebody made a beautiful remark that it is dead. It is no longer existent. So with this backdrop, I would like to say that all the rising powers, each one is pushing for its own national interest. Nobody is bothered about any international commitment. Today the main challenge before the world order should be the climatic change. You see, take your mind back to COP26, what happened in Glasgow. You understood? So so when there is a unanimity required, whether there is a hundred billion dollars supposed to have been paid by some member states, it was not even one-tenth of the funds for a for a larger cause. Same is the case with the terrorism, counter-terrorism. You yourself, you are an expert. Tell me what kind of collaborative effort it took years for the United States to understand and accept that terrorism is a international common factor against which everyone has to come together until 9/11. It is only after 9-11 that changed the mindset and that when they invaded Afghanistan, they came with one purpose, but it became totally disorganized. The focus shifted to the ISIS caliphate, the focus shifted to Iraq, they went towards Libya, they went towards, uh, if I'm not wrong, Syria also partly. As a result, they were neither successful in Afghanistan nor uh, elsewhere. The caliphate which they thought has collapsed, to my mind, it is taking rebirth now, it is regrowing. Isis is actually expanding to include the Coruscant group. So having said all this, that globally, these alliances are more the pressure, longer the duration of this conflict. I personally feel that there is an element of Russia and China being pushed to become more intimate, which will be more challenging for the global order to face. Therefore, it is in the interest of the global order. If China is number one enemy, if China is the country which uh, generated or started this Wuhan virus, they have to be held accountable. If China has to be held accountable, if there is a freedom of navigation to be ensured across the South China Sea, then the shifting of our Asia pivot from Middle East to South China Sea has to be protected. That very logic of shifting has to be protected. Therefore, the focus of the global order has to shift to Indochina, not to the Eurasian or not to the East European country or the central European country. Therefore, in my view, that in the larger good, the conflict must come to an end at the earliest with the United Nations or the global power, maybe Narendra Modi and India can play a very important role despite the vulnerability of geopolitical challenges that India is going through. It's not a very comfortable situation for India to abstain twice in the UN um, United Nations security as also General Assembly. It's not a comfortable position because here two issues are coming up, national interest and the principle. We
0: Absolutely. have
1: to actually defend our interest when you compare with the principles. Principles do not actually serve and protect the national interest of a nation. So with that, I hope I have answered your question. Back to you, please.
0: Absolutely, sir. So basically, India, as it's always been the non-aligned party in the entire global political uh, play, uh, today is actually the time where India can come out as a neutralizing factor, get a stoppage to this conflict. And uh, with that, it is also needed that India has to now put its foot down for getting a permanent seat in the United uh, Nations Security Council as a third type, not the democratic, not the communist, but a non-aligned type where it also brings in a neutralizing veto power to the table. Talking about the global order that you were talking about, the democratic bloc right now is inactive, The communists are on their expansionist agenda, like you said, the caliphate and all those, uh, you know, aspects. And the socialists are not able to fulfill their own citizens' requirements, right? But whatever the politics are, today, I can only say this on the behalf of all my fellow Indians, is that our hearts are with the brave people of Ukraine and the People's President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky for his exemplary leadership. Uh, with that, I would like to thank you uh, for being on Diplomacy Direct again, uh, General G. Uh, thank you very much and let God bless you, pray. Thank you. Thank Good
1: you days. so much. Thank you.